Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artists thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers, and I am so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a great show lined up, and I'm really excited. And I want to say I'm really grateful and humbled that so many people are listening to the show. We've got live listeners and people listening in on the archive, so welcome and thanks, and I hope you enjoy yourselves. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. And you can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Um, Email me in between shows if you want to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com, and Tracy is T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, we have some great guests coming on. Next week on July 9th at 5 p.m., which is a little later than usual for us, internationally renowned Vedic astrologer and former Bollywood actress Camilla Sutton will tell us how to make our lucky stars work for us. Um, and I just received word today that mezzo-soprano opera star Elizabeth Deshong will be on. She, she's coming on um, June, July 30th at 1 p.m. Very excited to have her. On August 6th, Dr. Bruce Cole, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., will talk about art and architecture in our country's most public venues and our country's heritage of art. Very cool. Looking forward to that. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. And I'm so delighted today to have Christine Yu, a film writer, producer, and director on the show. Christine Yu wrote, directed, produced, and self-distributed the award-winning feature comedy Wedding Palace, the first U.S.-Korea independent co-production. The ensemble film is led by award-winning South Korean actress, and I'm going to mispronounce it, so my apologies, Hai Jung Kang, old boy, in her first English-language film, Brian T., who's in The Fast and the Furious 3, Tokyo Drift, and Gabby Douglas Story, Bobby Lee, 
in Mad TV and Emmy nominee Margaret Cho. In 2013, you self-distributed the film into six major U.S. markets where it ran for up to 12 weeks. The film was distributed video on demand via Gravitas and the Warner Brothers Worldwide, and she sold theatrically, and it sold theatrically in Korea, Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, numerous airlines, and the military. You raised the financing and received sponsorship from LG Mobile, Hyundai, Korean Air, Jinro Height, The Face Shop, and the Korean government. Upon completion of the film, you became a sought-after speaker on college campuses across the U.S., NGOs, and for corporations such as Bank of America, Comcast, and Merrill Lynch. Um, she's been invited as a panelist at numerous conferences, and she was also selected as a director for the 2013 NBC Diversity Showcase. Prior to making the Wedding Palace film, you was a co-writer on the Emmy-nominated anime franchise Afro Samurai, starring Samuel L. Jackson for Fuji TV, Spike TV, and she co-wrote for Steppers Only, an original feature comedy optioned by Lionsgate. Beginning in 2000, you has worked in the Korean commercial industry as a producer and assistant directing team for clients such as Samsung, LG, Korean Air, Cafe Bean, and Nature's Republic. Currently, you is senior producer at KCET Link TV, the largest independent network in the U.S., where she is developing a pilot and vertical for international news focused on Asia and independently producing a feature-length documentary film, K-Pop Brings Peace to the Middle East, about Israeli and Palestinian youth forging friendships due to their passion for K-Pop. You is active in the Asian American community, and she was selected to represent Asian Americans in Hollywood at a 2012 at the White House Asian American Initiative Conference on Philanthropy, and she served as a judge for the White House Asian American Initiative Contest, What's Your Story, the same year. She graduated summa cum laude, School of Cinematic Arts, University of Southern California, and Phillips Academy Andover. You was born in Buffalo, New York, and grew up in Iowa City and Memphis, Tennessee. So, Christine, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Tracy. Um, yes, that was my, that's my life. <laughs> that's an amazing and wonderful bio of an amazing and accomplished woman. And you know, I watched your movie Wedding Palace, and I really enjoyed it. It's charming and funny, and good spirited, and warming and moving. Oh, thank you so much. It's always great to hear people, um, you know, enjoying your work and connecting with uh, uh, people uh, everywhere. Well, it it is just fantastic. And, um, you know, I'm also really interested to hear your thoughts on being a woman director in Hollywood. I'm hearing that the Directors Guild is actively blocking the road to gender equality and that the ACLU is, has gotten involved. But I want to start off with how you began your journey and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training do you have and when did you know you were going to be involved with film? What did you think you would be? So kind of tell me about your childhood and your early career. Mm. And um, so start early and lead up. <laughs> uh, okay. I um, I guess growing up as a, as a kid, um, probably like a lot of other um, Asian uh, kids, I played classical piano and, uh, you know, was engaged in a lot of classical music activities. Um, and I was a competitive piano player when I was, uh, let's see, up until maybe 10th grade, and had always enjoyed the arts, um, was very active in um, drawing, and, um, you know, originally I was I very much wanted to become a painter, 
Um, but then somewhere in end of high school, beginning of um, college, I felt that maybe the medium was not really appropriate for me. Um, and I had always studied uh, international relations, and I think uh, – growing up in a household where my father was a research scientist and uh, directed a, a university lab. So we always had a lot of people from all over the world in our house, you know, for Thanksgivings and parties and, you know, dinners and things like that. So I think very early on being exposed to a lot of um, people from everywhere um, has ultimately played a big influence on, you know, how I see or interact with the world. And so I had then got into international politics and um, Russian is what I was studying um, with the thoughts of perhaps going into some kind of um, international relations or diplomacy. Um, and uh, and I had do you gone speak, to... Do you speak Korean? Uh, I'm okay. I'm conversational. Um, I didn't. We didn't grow up speaking any Korean because my mother actually, even though she is Korean, she was born... Uh, and grew up in the state of Hawaii on a pineapple plantation. So That's she cool. never spoke a word of uh, Korean, actually. Um, the only things that, say, my uh, my mother and that side of the family, you know, they know, like, kimchi, japchae, bulgogi, you know, all the foods. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, um, and then my grandmother, she actually even spoke with an American accent. So when she spoke Korean, because she had come over in around 1908 or something, like maybe wow. the second boat ever that came over from Korea um, to the U- to Hawaii for um you know, at that time, it was uh, uh, pineapple plantations and sugarcane plantation labor. So, she, so they came over very early on. So, on her side, I'm more like third generation. And then, not that this is really an excuse. This is like the bane of my existence. You know, that my Korean is not. I think totally it's fascinating. <laughs> well, no, because I was trying to figure out because you studied Russian, you speak some Korean, and you know, of course, English is your first language. So you're multilingual in addition to being multi-talented, which is impressive. Well, that definitely. Thank you very much, but I'm definitely not really multilingual. Um, I can get by, you know. And of course, you know, after a few shots of vodka or soju, suddenly everything <laughs> becomes very fluent, right? <laughs> suddenly you're having philosophical discussions about, you know, Marxist policies or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that I had spent a lot of time in, um, not spent a lot of time, but I spent some time studying in um, the Soviet Union um, just as the, uh, you know, communism was falling uh, with the intention of going into some kind of uh, international politics or maybe CIA or something like that. But I kind of got disillusioned with the whole thing. Um, and um, and then I really got into film. Sort See, of this is a broad. So. Well, this is a hugely broad and sort of wonderful background, an international background, and um, from everyone from your dinner guests at your at the table, you know, because of your father's work, and then, you know, your mother's family having come over so early, and um, and your studies in the Soviet Union and classical piano. This is an amazing background to sort of give rise to. Yeah, film. I. I yeah, it's weird because I feel very fortunate that um um 
you know, and I, and I think that's why I enjoy directing so much and especially, say, working with actors and uh, that observational point uh, uh, aspect to directing um, because I think my background, because I grew up also in Iowa <laughs> and uh-huh. in Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up in a lot of different uh, geographical zones in the U.S. And so I felt very fortunate that I was able to be exposed really to all different kind of facets of life, um, you know, just kind of naturally, organically. And, of course, you know, as a kid, you're always trying to, like, fit in and figure figure out what the hell's going on, um, you, you know, for just basic socialization purposes. Right, you know? right. Um, so I have, you know, friends from, you know, total Southern Bells. I've, I actually recently reconnected with some childhood friends that I had from Iowa from like first grade. Um, of course that's uh, the, the, the wonders of Facebook. Um, right. and, uh, and then I went to school on the East coast in a very, uh, you know, the very preppy, uh, you know, boarding school environment. So that all of these kind of experiences, I felt the reason why I became very excited about filmmaking was because I felt like it was a medium where I could, hopefully ultimately uh you know explore these different facets of of you know human interaction basically so that's and why i felt there, like it was a, a good medium for me was there one moment when you knew that film was it did you have a moment um, when the I light was, bulb went on yeah i was uh conscripted into helping out on a short film when i was in school in new york and um, I just felt that because, you know, also before I told you I was really into painting, so I had continued that just on my own. I had always wanted to somehow incorporate being an artist or being creative in my life, but growing up from my background, you know, say professional artists or connecting to um, uh, um, a career as uh, within the creative field, um, no connection whatsoever, you, you, you know. So I really didn't know or know how to look at that as, you know, how how, do, how does that actually happen? Um, so I just, um, there was a moment when I was um, uh, working on this short film and I, I loved the, I guess, the social aspect to it, you know, and it, you know, was part, uh, you know, teamwork, collaborative. Um, I love that. But then you're just kind of working towards this ultimately, hopefully a greater goal. Uh, you know, uh-huh. it's something that's kind of like bigger than yourself, right? And I mm-hmm. I enjoy that. And you're able to get a really, uh, you know, a, a bigger idea across. Um, and it was just that moment of like working on this, working on this film. And I thought, gosh, you know what, this incorporates like, uh, you know, uh, uh, visuals, uh, you know, uh, music, auditory, and and story. So I don't know if it was, like, one particular, like, you know, shot or something like that, you know, uh-huh. setup that we were on. But it was just kind of, I think, the cumulative experience of then when we finished this god-awful short film. Um, but, <laughs> but it was really fun. You know, I just had so much fun, I, I think, is what it was. I was like, wow, maybe I could get paid for this. Um, that would be cool. Um, and so that's uh, that, that kind of started me on my journey to exploration of it. 
That is cool. That's a that's a very broad, rich background. So tell me about Wedding Palace because, as I said when I introduced you, I really enjoyed it. It was just fun, and um, and it did that thing I think great art has to do, which is it is set in a specific and it's localized, and then transcends that to become universal. So tell me, how did you continue oh, the Wedding well, Palace? How you. did you end up writing, directing, and producing it? Uh, again, that's kind of one of these things that happened by accident, I think. And when, if I probably would have known all the things I would have been forced, essentially, to do just out of necessity, I mean, you think back, maybe I wouldn't have done it because it's a lot of work, um, a lot of struggle along the way. But, you know, in the end, of course, that's it makes it all worth it. Um, but it, it started just kind of as a fluke idea. Um, I was just, after film school, I was working really in editorial, and um, but I knew that I would have to, if I wanted to direct something, I would essentially have to write my way there. Um, and uh, so I actually, I, I wrote the script uh, with my former uh, professor from USC, my writing professor. Um, I had had this idea, but I was never coming from a writing background. I was coming, you know, really from a visual background. So the idea of doing a 110-page script was daunting. Um, and But once he got involved, we actually wrote the script, the first draft of it very quickly. Um, and we wrote it originally, I think it was like back in 1999. Okay, I mean, like this is a long time ago. Um, and, uh, it just, it, it's, it sat on my shelf, um, but it ended up getting me every single writing job I had had thereafter. And I think it was because, and the point of it was I had wanted to do a story. I was very influenced by, say, like Woody Allen, who does very, you know, exactly like you said, lo- localized culture, but then, uh, um, the characters are kind of able to transcend that New York very specific experience, and you know, I mean, reach out I just, to a broad audience of people. I don't find Woody Allen's work as good-hearted, though. And what struck me about Wedding Palace is that there's a good-heartedness at the core. Oh, thanks. I, um, you know, hey, what can I say? I mean, I'm 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 full of love and want to share it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I, 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 especially maybe growing up with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Koreans, uh, and in my family, um, my mother's extended family is, it really is nothing like that family in the movie, but in terms of the family togetherness and, you know, I have some uncles and my dad, they're probably the funniest people that I know, you know, and I always know that if I'm hanging out with them, <clears throat> it's going to be a good time and we're always going to laugh. And I guess I just wanted to bring that kind of sensibility to screen, especially being that very rarely do we uh, audiences or people we get a chance to see, say, like an all Asian family and maybe be like, oh, wow, you know, that uncle, that crazy uncle. He reminds me right. my the uncle. Crazy uncle, yeah, with the, the one with the cigar, right? He was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it, it was just that feeling that I wanted to um, to, to to capture. And then, I mean, I usually go on, you know, when I'm thinking about stuff, I'm usually looking at what kind of feeling the the emotional core of of a piece first. 
and mm-hmm. then of like what feeling I want to express and then usually some, you know, the visual tone or the visual treatment and then somehow the characters kind of come up from there. Um, so it usually always starts with like a feeling, you know, uh-huh. not even so much the plot, but it's always just like the feeling. So that's your I'm glad way that in. came through, Tracy. <laughs> well, I want to now go back to something you said. You said that you realized if you wanted to direct, you'd have to write your way into it. Can you elaborate on that? Um, you know, I mean, I, I wanting to direct. I mean, you, of course, you do a lot of research about. Well, how did Steven Soderbergh or whoever you know get their first breaks? And you always heard, well, they wrote a script and attach themselves to direct it and going to film school I went to USC and you know a lot of other my peers who are males of course you know they're more sort of uh you know they'll work for a while and then we'll just make the step to graduate to graduating to directing kind of naturally it's more like offered to them in a lot of ways you know especially like in tv um i just did not see that happening for myself whatsoever um so i felt like okay i need to write this script i'm gonna have to produce it I, i think it's a combination it's definitely first you know being a woman um I'm sort of the the worst combination for it all. I'm like female, Asian, and I'm short on top of it. Whereas like most guys, you know, most directors in the industry, they're like, I had read the statistic. It's like they're saying, um, you know, CEOs of corporations supposedly are tend to be on like the taller side or like over the average, the average uh, height they're saying is like six, two or something. Right. And then they were talking about how entrepreneurs are slightly usually shorter, like 5'10", 5'11", or something. (laughs) And it's because, you know, in directing, you know, and directors, a lot of them are, like, really super tall, Um, you know, because naturally I think it's just, like, this biological instinct people have that they want to look up, you know, to, um, to their leader. And so I've always, you know, had that struggle, though. Even back in film school, you'd go to the equipment, um, a center where you check out equipment to go make your movies. And in the beginning, you know, they always used to give me like the crap equipment, um, you know, none of the extras and stuff. And then over time when people saw like, Oh, okay, actually this, maybe this girl is actually pretty, she's, she's okay. You know, she's, she's good. So then, then they're like, then they start giving you all the extra stuff. So it's always been that way, but I think that's, so you you had to really for women in general. You had to really earn, you really had to earn what was given to you. Yeah, no, I mean, I have never been given anything in this business. You know, not not one thing. I've I've had to really go out and get it. I've met good people along the way for sure. Uh, but it's always been a song and dance number. <laughs> well, so <laughs> to um to really to get to get it to get anywhere. So I was going to go into this a little later, and I want to come back to Wedding Palace because right now in our conversation, Wedding Palace is sort of on a you know in a closet shelf somewhere, getting writing jobs. So we'll come back to it. But where in you, what in you gives the strength, gives you the strength and courage to go out and make opportunities for yourself? Is it a mindset? Is it a mantra? Is it what is it? Um. I mean, I guess I just, I guess, you know, overall, I've always believed in my intelligence, I think, first and foremost, and my ability to communicate. And 
I know I'm not stupid, you know, and I know that this isn't brain surgery either. So, you know, and I, I guess I always grew up, um, you know, uh, having had a, a degree of success in my endeavors. And so, you know, you're just, you're just looking for some kind of even playing field, um, an opportunity. Um, and, but yet in this business, the opportunities for females are just in general, I mean, on the create, like, you know, cause the director, you're basically of the, of the set. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and people still in 2000, what are we in 2015, Traditionally, they just don't, you know, look at females in that way. And I think it's because there's a lot of money at stake. This is a lot of money that doesn't necessarily even have to be, you know, spent, quote unquote. Um, So for a lot of people who are independent, say, financiers, you know, a lot of people are just doing this on a financing level because they want the prestige, they want the, you know, to hang out in Cannes, whatever, you know. And and it's it's still very much a boys' club. That's That's really all I can say. You know, women are definitely making progress, and I think this ACLU thing is is awesome. Um, oh, yeah, there needs to be something that. like that. Talk about because yeah, I mean, there there has to be something like that in order to make a difference. And um, so, what is um, the ACLU? You know, doing? because uh, they're suing. Uh, they're they they're doing an exploration into the industry into hiring practices. Um, I read up on it a little bit more before got on the show, but, um, you know, as of about a month ago, some really glaring statistics have um, come out about uh, Hollywood's hiring practices. I mean, say the DGA, <clears throat> only 7% are, membership is are women, uh, and this is in 2015, and mm-hmm. the majority of those women even are only in um, working in television, um, almost none on the feature film level. I think just I heard one person, uh, Tamara Jenkins, who ironically I worked for, I was an assistant editor, apprentice editor on her first feature um was uh, just hired to direct Wonder Woman. Um, I think Ava DuVernay, who did Selma, I think she's in talks to maybe do a Marvel film. Um, But, you know, she's a great example of also somebody who has really had to claw. I mean, any woman who's in the directing position here in this industry has definitely had to claw their way there. (laughs) Yeah, I was just And I will say claw their way there. I saw a website called WomenDirectorsInHollywood.com, and the author of that website, she basically says that the DGA is committing Title VII violations and that women directors are being actively excluded. Would you agree with Um, that? I don't know, you know, the, the inner workings of the DGA, but I'm not surprised, certainly, to hear that information. I'm, I'm definitely not surprised. Um, well, just because of the it? attitudes that you're met with um, on the creative table, you know. I mean, there there is no equality for sure. I mean, there is like that does not exist here in this town, and they justify it. Um, see, it's it's justified their practices um, because of the amount of money at stake. That's that's how this whole system is justified, you know. And then, you know, being Asian on top of it, forget about it, you know. Well, what can, Just what forget can, about it, okay? What can women directors do about it? 
you know, what can women directors do about they it? They suffer. They suffer. Besides <laughs> um, suffering, like they, you went out and you yeah. made the wedding palace, wedding palace, which is wonderful. I mean, yeah, the wonderful. only thing you can do, the only thing you can do really is go out and make something yourself. And I realized, um, you know, I was on a job. Um, I'm not going to say what it was because it involves a high profile star, but I was involved with um, a show running uh, this, I was gonna. I was supposed to be one of the showrunners for this uh, new series, and it was it was god awful um, for a lot of reasons because um, there are several different companies involved. Nobody wanted to um, commit also to a certain direction, um, and on top of it, my deal took nine months prior to negotiate, and it was supposed to be, according to all of my representatives, a big break for me. And you know, ostensibly, if if things would have if, if people had agreed on a different on a certain direction and things would have gone forward, yeah, it probably would have been a big break. But instead, I just broke out in hives, you know, and I was like miserable. And I was like, um, because you were being not treated what badly. I came out here to do. No, it didn't have anything to do with being treated badly. But um, there were three companies involved. They all wanted something different from the piece that I was hired to uh, develop. So amongst themselves, they could never decide. There were 13 executives, like, oh my you know, God. after nine months of negotiations, I stepped, we, you know, my writing partner suits. and I, we get, yeah, 13 suits, and they couldn't decide on anything. It sounds like but then hell. yet you have these kind of like false deadlines that are imposed upon you, and I was like, if this is supposed to be my big break, this is awful, you know, I mean, this is terrible. Um, so at that point, I had already actually had a, a producer attached to Wedding Palace. It was, though, budgeted at $3 million. And <clears throat> I was very real with myself, though, at that point. I was like, you know, $3 million, first-time female director and Asian of course on top of it um <clears throat> doing an international picture with a lit with a big cast not going to happen there's no way I'm going to be able to raise this money um but somehow the idea of a million dollars being able to raise you know that seemed like okay you hear about people being able to raise a million dollars okay I can I can do that so but that of course means that nobody involved up until that point um people who are already attached I mean million dollars is really is not a lot of money when it comes to film and especially the international aspect and just, you know, we had already budgeted this thing out. So, but I, nobody, that means that pretty much nobody's going to get paid, but everybody had agreed to do it at that point. So we set out with a million dollars in equity to raise. Um, and then I began to, you know, I'm just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean that it, the movie shouldn't look good, essentially. So mm -hmm. um, then I just went about getting uh, some corporate sponsors on board to basically underwrite sections, um, you know, locations, uh, wedding dresses, like anything, right, right. anything, or you know that 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 uh, is going to cost money. I just try to approach a company for to provide it instead of having to pay out cash. So that began and the traveling salesman journey. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, what was that like, being a traveling salesman? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I felt literally like a traveling salesman. So I knew that originally, actually, the movie was set in Memphis, but I just knew that it was going to be an impossibility to shoot there. So I reset the movie to L.A. and to Koreatown, um, decided to just film it along the Wilshire Corridor from basically from western to Vermont and, like, you know, try to focus it on a neighborhood or an idea of a neighborhood and um, literally, I made a PowerPoint presentation about what the movie is and um, would be, uh, this is when, so Brian T. also was involved with this process and we would, I would see like a, a wedding store as like a potential location to shoot in. Be like, oh, that that place looks great, you know. I, I actually went. It was kind of liberating because I went back to my film school roots, you know, really for this. Uh-huh. And so I would just walk into the to the um, wedding store and be like, hi, you know, my name is Christine New. I'm gonna be. I want to be shooting this. I'm gonna shoot this movie. I'm wondering, like, is there a manager or somebody that I can talk to? And I literally just, you know, went around the whole neighborhood doing that. And, you know, it's surprising at um, people will be, you know, I I learned people will be generous when they, if they can be. And, Uh uh, you know, at the same time, a lot of times I think, um, are always looking for that, oh, I just need that one million, you know, one person who's going to write the million-dollar check. You know, in reality, yeah, I guess that can happen, but I just would, you know, humbly accept any, you know, any humble offering because it all adds up, you know. Oh, yeah, it adds end. up. Yeah. So um, that was, you know, so I got actually a nonprofit organization of all things involved, Um Koreatown Youth and Community Center, KYCC. Uh, the executive director, uh, Jung Oh Song, he's kind of the, uh, how do you say it, honorary mayor, I guess I would say, of K-Town. So he introduced me to a lot of different people, <clears throat> some of the community leaders, mm-hmm. and I was able to sit down and have a conversation with a lot of them. And, and you know, people gave and got involved with how they could. They The community really ended up supporting this this movie so I mean I didn't have to pay for really any locations I had office space donated I mean just it it, it was pretty special it was very special time um you know so then you what was the shooting of this movie like oh my god um that's another story in and of itself um because um, we shot in L.A. and in Korea because of the financial situation, meaning I didn't have all the money raised as I was as I went into production. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot over three different times within a year, um, and each time was a struggle to remount the production um, <clears throat> for different reasons. I, I began the film, I mean, uh, with supposedly with all of the money committed. Uh, But then literally the night before we were supposed to start shooting in L.A., and we we knew we were going to be a union shoot in L.A. I mean, so we had Teamsters and the whole deal. Um, Wow. 
so the the night before, I was called in the line producer's office, and they're like, oh, well, one of your financiers, they um, are not going to be able to, uh, they're not going to come through on, you know, oh my God. part of the financing. You know, I just saw my whole entire life flash before my eyes. Oh, you know, my God. Literally, I'd refused work for like a year prior to uh, commit to doing the movie. I knew that if, if I wanted to make it happen, that I would only uh have time to commit to this. You can't really take any outside work. Mm-hmm. Um so I had already risked pretty much everything. Um and I had an actress from Korea who was already in town for a month studying. Um I had all the sponsorship lined up for that time, but for some reason um Stephen Park, the actor that played uh the main character's father, mm-hmm. um he was you know, growing up, I guess he was such a role model for me because he was on this show in Living Color. He was like the only Asian person on that show. And, you know, growing up or, you know, I was like, it, it just left such an impression. So I really so he up was to really him. An and for some reason, I just kept on thinking like, there's no way I could tell Stephen Park to go home because he was here from Brooklyn. I was like, I cannot tell this guy to go home. This just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just I couldn't picture that. And I, and um, so um, I pretty much, I guess, kind of lied and said that I had raised money and that I didn't. So that oh the my god, because we had some money, and I just knew that somehow it would figure. You know, the momentum was there; we'd figure it out. Um, but that being said, we had to um, completely rearrange the production while we were in production. And originally I was going to just shoot night exteriors in Korea um, with the uh, two lead cast and shoot everything else in L.A. Um, right. But because of the financial situation, uh, one, we were struggling for payroll Every single week. Um, it's a good thing I'd known the script really well at that point, so I didn't have to like think about where I was in the story. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, we are basically raising money every day, um, and um, um, and uh, so a lot of so within the middle of the U.S. production, I just switched it all so that. Everything with this big supporting cast. I had like 50 actors or something. I mean, like big rule for like people who are doing their move, first movies is like don't don't work with like a big cast, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, but we just shot all of that out first, and I just left everything. So their entire love story, the, the main two characters, I you know, I just shot everybody else out, and then just so that I would only have to call back the lead two characters. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then the production was dark for uh, several months. I went to Korea. My kind of my big brother producer said that he would help me finish the movie. Um, so uh, I had shot the LA part on thirty-five millimeter. Okay, this was probably like the last indie movie ever to like use, you know, partly on film. Right. I had three thousand dollars left in the bank account, but he was like, "Look, if you move the rest of the production over here, I can help you. I have a relation. He's produced like thirty movies or something, so he had a relationship with the film lab. Let's get your neg um, uh, telecined. You know, I didn't have enough money. We only had enough money to like develop the negative, but I never even freaking saw what I shot because we never did dailies. Okay. Oh my gosh. So 
Um, I took the last $3,000 in my bank account, paid DHL, shipped over to Korea 600 pounds of negative. And then when it arrived, I got a call from one of the customs office, and they're like, um, you need to pay some import duties on this. And I didn't have any money, you know, to pay the import uh. duties. So I begged the lab, and um, the CEO of the lab, God bless her, um, she felt sorry for me, um, and she ended up paying my customs duties, and within, like, an hour, my negative was sitting in the film lab, and she uh, – they went ahead and tell us they need it uh, without any payment up front. And, uh, you know, I was able to, and then about two weeks later, I was able to raise the rest of the money. Um, wow. So it, it was epic. I mean, it, it's a comedy, but it was nothing but drama on the scene. <laughs> well, at the time you were living through it, you must have felt like you were living by the seat of your pants and the skin of your teeth kind of thing. Uh yeah, I mean I had I had a lot of dark days, many 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 dark days. Especially when I was first in Korea, it was I had to live through the bitter cold on top of it, you know. And my production was dark at that point. I had no idea how it was going to continue, but in my mind, I had ar- I always saw a finished piece. You know, I had always seen that. I don't know, somehow audiences would would enjoy it. So I just that one picture in my mind I think just you, you led clung me to, to that. believe that okay, this will somehow I have no idea how, but it will somehow get finished. So how did how was it when you were distributing it and you know, how did you get it out for people to see and what has been the response? Oh God, that's like a whole nother hour, Tracy. Um you know, here's the thing is in film school you're taught how to make the movie. <laughs> and even though I was experiencing complete, uh, you know, hell, it was a good thing I had had another schoolmate who was leading a parallel life to me. We were both doing our first features at the time and commiserating, and, you know, he had a bunch of problems too. So I wasn't alone. Um, but despite all that, we were both saying, like, hey, you know what, at least, even though this is terrible, at least, you know what, these are actually amazing problems to have. You know, let's just, like, enjoy these problems because we're making our first movie, you know. Right. So <laughs> I always went back to that. But then uh, getting it out there, distribution, is a whole nother thing. I mean, because that's just straight-up business. Um, and I was not um, versed in that and very naive going into it. Um, and again, because of the whole process of finishing the film, uh, was such a financial struggle. I mean, I had no money to hire a publicist to help get it into film festivals, and that's what you need. You have to have a publicist really to to help place uh, the film to get you know real distribution and stuff. Um, so I just I um, ended up. Um, uh, getting it placed into a lot of the Asian American film festival circuit um, and just did a whole demographic study from the U.S. census. I was like, for a month, I literally, you know, I had to build a marketing report. Like, who essentially uh-huh. would you market to? You know, so I literally was studying data sets on the at the U.S. Census for where the entire, like, Asian population <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) And I developed this, you know, plan for, okay, well, these are, and then you go to what theaters are out there. Um, 
then, you know, you have to put your marketing cap on. Um, but eventually I uh, had gotten – and we built our social media page, um, which had a big hand in um, – uh, um, getting distribution and literally and all Facebook of those pieces page were for the movie. This is the Facebook page for the movie. Huh? Is this the yeah Facebook yeah yeah? Page? And what is that page? Yeah, it's just uh, you can just look up Wedding Palace on the search in Facebook, and it'll be right there. Okay. I think the actual URL is something like you know Facebook uh, Wedding Palace Go, um, but. You can just look up. People can just do a search, and I receive messages there, and um, you know, talk to people on that forum if people want to reach me. Um, but um, we had a really good social media presence overall, and so um, people in the Asian community, within um, colleges, corporations, you know, I. <clears throat> Uh, spent a couple of years actually after making the film because uh, I was searching for also for money to um, to actually to distribute the film because I realized that you know no studio per se was going to be picking it up but I knew that the response to the film was good mm-hmm. um, people enjoyed mm-hmm. it people were laughing you know whenever we had screenings they were pretty much sold out um, but you know no quote unquote star in the movie um, again all Asian cast. Um, you know, distributors don't don't know what to do with it. Um, but so I ended up putting it out onto uh, in the theaters myself, self distributing it, which was complete. Uh, that was work. That was a lot of work. Um, but God bless Hawaii. That's all I can say. Why um, that 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 state really came out to support the film, and I had a lot of support from the local television station there, KBFD, to um, to support the film locally. They ran my commercials, and um, the film ran for like twelve or like fourteen weeks over there. So did you make um, your money? So it back? played like a, actually like a mainstream movie. I'm sorry. Did you make money back? Um, not everything, uh, but it's accumulated, you know, here and there. It's, you know, you make money, um, but, you know, it's so funny. It's like when I first started this whole distribution thing, um, talking to distributors, they're like, well, what's your goal to, um, to, to, um, you know, for this film? And of course you're like, okay, well, make your money back. And they're like, okay, well, really, you know, they're basically, they're talking you out of the whole thing. And along the way, you know, talking to other independent producers who have done their first features and whatnot, um, because producers, independent producers, you realize that you must have marketing budget, and people usually don't um, build that into the budget that they're making. Um, You know, I mean, there's a reason why the studios have spend just as much marketing as they do in production. Uh-huh. You know, because people don't even know that you exist. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, so uh, the film is making money, and it just, um, you know, over time, I guess it uh, accumulates. But really, most people, unless it's a, especially on an independent level, unfortunately, most people don't are not going to probably see great returns. And that's just because, again, even though we live in an era where 
information and media is so readily available, and yes, there are tons of distribution platforms, and yes, there's YouTube and blah, 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 but there's also such an overglut of material, and, and how are people going to know you exist? So the economics for independent filmmaking have gotten really twisted up. You know, I mean, you have to kind of approach micro-budget you know, low-budget filmmaking on a, on, a, on a different level, and you'd have to do really kind of micro-budget movies um, if, one, if you don't have, like, a bona fide star in your film. I have a whole different, you know, thought pattern about independent film now after having mm-hmm. been through the entire bloody process. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was lucky, though, that, that I have been able to get... Um, the film distributed essentially worldwide, you know, um, through Warner and um, Gravitas and airlines and all the ancillary markets. That's actually really where you make your money. And so, what have you overall, learned, like, you know, what is, what's the one thing you'd say you'd come out of it? Like what's the one thing you've learned the most, the most important thing you've learned from this whole process? God, I don't even know. It's um, just, um, I guess, really, it's just like don't give up and have a good support team and um, raise your P&A money going in. (laughs) Have your distribution plan going into it, you know, because that's where most independent filmmakers, um, where you fail, you know, Um, because there's, And also the concept for making a film is very well known to investors. You know, everybody's heard of, let's make a movie, let's go to Sundance. You know, there's there's, there's energy in that. People understand that. But there's not a lot of knowledge about, well, you actually really need money for distribution and for marketing. And if not, maybe more. And that's like a whole other set of skills and knowledge that a lot of independent filmmakers – you know, I mean, you, you go to film school, you learn how to make the movie, but um, the business of it, um, most most schools don't really focus on that. So do you think, like, maybe the Women's Direct, you know, the Women's Association of Directors, um, you know, whatever organization that is, Women Directors of America, maybe they could start sponsoring classes for other women, like, specifically on what you're talking about. Would that be a way to help yeah, the women? Help I, I think I I definitely think so. I mean, I was I took part in a um women in film Sundance. Um it was like a, a conference. It was like the first year I was invited to participate and it was all the requirement was it was all all, all these women who had already made a feature. Um and so the industry and, you know, women in film, I don't mean the organization, but just like, you know, say the leading producers or organizers, that people are starting to have more awareness and conversation. And I think getting into the position of, um, okay, hey, let's, this 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 has got to stop already. We, we need to somehow, um, you know, make this a little bit more of a collective effort. I mean, I, I generally feel that there is a, a growing awareness of that, you know, um, h- how it's going to be dealt with is just, of course, it's, I'm, you know, it'll go back to incremental progress over time. Mm-hmm. So there's no quick and easy fix to that. Right. I was just throwing out the idea of classes, um, 
for as one. Where do you see your career in five years, ten years, or twenty years? Gosh, um, I, that's interesting because I just um, had been re- recently thinking about this whole thing. Because um, after making the film. I ended up just completely taking a very um, left turn. I ended up getting involved with a biotech startup because I had developed actually a lot of business skills um, and fundraising skills. So I got involved, of all things, with a biotech startup, and I did that for about a year, um, you know. uh, But then within that, um, realized I wanted to go back to. Huh? What were you doing for them? You were raising money for them? Uh-huh, and developing their whole business uh, build-out, um, doing business development, strategic relationships, you know, kind of all the things that you do when you're making a movie. You're, you know, getting sponsors, you're raising money, you're, you know, making presentations, you know. All of those skills actually apply to actually really own every business endeavor. So I was kind of able to take um a very kind of macro view of what I was doing in film as a piece of intellectual property uh-huh. and um and uh and and an idea and applying that to a a biotech situation um so that was a great experience um and but but also during that time i uh you know was really thinking about what I was gonna be doing. And then meanwhile, I had been developing a documentary. I mean, I, I would actually, I just started this job at um, KCET Link TV, which was like the largest public television station in the U.S. And I love it. This is actually a, a, a wonderful situation. And I've, I haven't worked a lot in television, and I like it because it's a very fast-paced um, environment, deadline-oriented um, whereas the thing with film is that it's very, you know, films, film has its own time, has its own sweet time, and there are really no deadlines. So these, that's why it takes literally years for projects to get done. That being said, that's where my heart is, so I am, um, I am still writing, and I know what my next feature is going to be, and but my approach will be very different. Um, it's all, actually the pieces will be almost the opposite, the exact opposite, I guess, of of Wedding Palace. Um, it'll be a very contained, a lot of interior type of shoot, um, family drama, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, yeah. Family drama, much more uh, kind of uh, longer takes, um, more uh, kind of uh, intentional mise-en-scene built into the whole thing. Um, and uh, and then meanwhile, you know, I would love to be able to continue to work in television. I'm producing a pilot right now uh, for a new, uh, actually it's like an international news vertical focused on uh, Asian stories, and so I feel like cool. so I'm kind of in the right place at the right time. Yeah, it seems to play to your strengths, I would say. Yeah, so, I, I like it because at the same time, I like, you know, nerdy academic stuff, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> it kind of is a mixture of both film and documentaries, global stories, um you know, getting perspectives out there, and it's it's great to also be in a position to curate and to help also um, to help develop 
other voices as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, it's, you it's funny because I was thinking about your intro of your show of, you know, independent artists and people who are working outside corporations and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's just even though that there are so many distribution platforms out there to work independently, um, it's still very difficult. And to have the support of a company is unfortunately in the world that we live in is actually really necessary to, to move forward. You know, I mean, nobody really pays attention to you unless some kind of company, you know, as an artist. And that's just, you know, that's the god-awful truth, you know, because people were so well, overloaded. That's the only thing that can it kind is. of, you know, people are. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, I know what you're saying, but I'm still trying to give people alternatives. And I still think that the best work is being done outside, you know, outside the big corporations. When I look at I Wedding agree. Palace. When I looked at Wedding Palace, I enjoyed it so much more than most of the movies I've seen on film in movie theaters this year because they're all like even Jurassic Park. It, it was a long car chase scene. You know, Mad Max, and I love Mad Max. And, you know, oh, yeah. my God, you know, there were some wonderful things. in Imperior, what's her name, uh, Furiosa. She was amazing. But still, it's a mm-hmm. long car chase, and there's no character development, zero, in most movies that are coming mm-hmm. out. It's like there's no time spent in development of character and plot. It's just boom, chasing, boom, explosions, boom, chasing, boom, explosions. And I find it boring. So Wedding Palace left mm-hmm. me with such a, a more full feeling and so much, you know, more satisfied and satiated than when I've come out of a lot of movies on the big screen. So yeah, it's really great to have the support of a big company and whenever possible, but I mean, I got to go help the people who aren't doing that because the big corporations are killing well, creativity. Thank God you're out there, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, me and Don we all, Quixote, we all, right? We all need Tracy's. Right. <laughs> yeah. Me and Don Quixote tilting at windmills. I yeah. Just, you know, it's just boring. What corp- you know, when you talked about the 13th yeah. suit, I'm thinking that is one definition of hell. Those people don't get it about yeah. art. Not a one of them does. They are money people yeah, through and I through. Mean, yeah, I mean, the process is um i mean the creative process is so uh jumbled up i mean usually the experience that i've had i mean and you know this is just my experience you know i'm not saying that other people you know of course i'm just coming from one perspective um a lot of the experience i had working on the studio level was really challenging very difficult because you know it's not really a the creative process for everything gets seems contrary to actually to the creative process, how they approach it, you know. Um, And I guess that's the thing that I've actually enjoyed about this um, particular show I'm on right now uh, because the creative process, it actually, it just, it it takes a little time, you know, and you can't have all of the answers immediately. And some of it is the process of discovery. I mean, of course, you know, you're working on deadlines, but, um, yeah. Well, Christine? You know, we're running uh, out of time. It's a lot of times I think feature films right now in Hollywood is um, uh, by committee. It has been for a long time, but it's just and more glaring now boring. because it's just franchise. Right. The franchises know. are boring. So, Christine, we're running out of yeah. time. So I wanted to thank you yeah. for being on the show. You were amazing. And to direct people so they can learn more about your work 
is to your face the Facebook page, which is probably like Wedding Palace Go. So thank you again. Thank yeah. you so much. I thank really you appreciate so much. And um and to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for joining us. Please come back next week on Thursday, July 9th at 5 p.m. as Vedic astrologer and former Bollywood actress Camilla Sutton talks about how to make your lucky stars work for you. Thanks again for listening. Till next week. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.